This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dabrowski, and with me, as always, the Corsi Authority himself, Brian Kong. <laughs> hey, Elon. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to handle you coming up with a new nickname for me every single week without just laughing and being stunned for four seconds to begin the show. But thank you for your introduction. Hello, everyone. Hope you all had a happy new year. Oh, we've been, this is our second show since the new year. We can get past that. I hope you're all looking forward to a wonderful Valentine's Day or Ides of March. What? Ides of March isn't a holiday. Anyway, we're happy to be back with another episode. <laughs> Brian's really dialed in with the holidays. It's very important to him to catch every single one. Uh, anyway, we are excited. We've got a big show this week. We've got a couple of really strange weeks of fantasy coming up with all of these bye weeks and strange schedules. We're going to try to help navigate you through these difficult times. Before we get into all of that, though, let's mention that we are presented by a website that is also dedicated to helping you through all the difficult times in fantasy hockey and all the great times. Dauberhockey.com. It's the best fantasy hockey website out there. You can check it out every day for new content. You can refresh. You can go to Dauberhockey.com and just press Control R over and over again. And every time you'll get something new, uh, most of the time at least. <laughs> new articles all the time, like daily ramblings, just like comparing players. Then you've got all the tools at Frozen Pools. You've got starting goalies, line combinations. Everything you need is there, dauberhockey.com. Brian, what did you think about the, I guess, Dauber, this is Dauber Prospects also. And we had a guy from Dauber Prospects, you all know and love him, Cam Robinson, the associate editor of Dauber Prospects. And he's also a bunch of other things. I think he also does stuff for Dauber Hockey. And I always forget, Cam's everywhere. He joined us for a bonus episode last week. It was actually our weekly patron bonus episode. And he joined us to talk about the World Junior Championships and Prospects. It was a lot of fun. We decided it was such a good show. We had to make it live for everyone. So anyone who wants access to that amazing show we did with Cam Robinson answering the questions of our patrons. They could just check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. I know usually when I say that, it means we're asking you to like donate to the show and give us money. No, just check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Go to posts. It's there for free. Check it out. It was a great interview. But Brian, how about we get started with this week's show? I'm waiting. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd shout out Cam. It was a really good show. He crushed it. Thanks, Cam. 
it made me confident that if Brian were to have an accident at some point, we'd be able to keep the show going. So that's you good definitely to know. could have. You definitely could have just said if, like, if Brian needed to step away from the podcast or like took a break or like not not the worst case scenario that I'm incapable of hosting. I'm really glad that your your anxieties about my incapacity to host the podcast are 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 made better. Thanks to Cam's wonderful performance. I'm nervous about you. I don't think you're going to walk away from me, but I can't help you from if you're going to like ride your bike without a helmet or something like that. Okay. Oh my gosh. Let's start. I didn't, say like a, I didn't say a deadly accident. Just like, you know, break your leg. You can't do the podcast for a little while because you're, you're in the If my leg was broken, I could do the podcast. Not if you're in the hospital. I'd have more time to do the podcast. You'd have bad sound quality. <laughs> okay. Like I'd be in the hospital for like two days. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Bye weeks. Not let's even. Talk- Let's talk about the schedule. They just put the cast on, don't they? All right, so most people play in weekly leagues, which means that you have to navigate through a very strange upcoming week, and actually two weeks. So next week, we've got a few teams playing a lot. The Carolina, Calgary, Chicago, Minnesota, they're playing four times. Then we've got a bunch of teams playing three times, and actually not a bunch, just like a couple, like Columbus and Washington are a couple noteworthy ones because they play three games early in the week. So those are teams you want to stock up on guys for because there's also a bunch of teams that only play once. What? Are you kidding me? Anaheim, Boston, Colorado, Dallas, LA, Montreal, New Jersey, Nashville, New York Islanders, Philly, San Jose, St. Louis, Vegas. If you have a player on any of those teams, you're kind of screwed because you're only going to get one game out of that player. So, Brian, we have to talk about some strategies here. Maybe there's different things play- people can do. Obviously, if you have, you know, Sidney Crosby, he's on Pittsburgh. They play twice, at least. Let me pick a team like LA. You have Kopitar. You're not going to drop Kopitar. There's nothing you could do. You just have to suck it up. Maybe you could have gotten lucky and had an injury to one of your players, like, you know, cat the flu today or tomorrow, and then they could go on the IR and you could stash them. That would be nice. But for most people, you have to hang on. But maybe there's some players that you can drop or figure out a way to win this week, even if you have a tough schedule. So, Brian, how about we start the show by just discussing general strategies? Like, what are you planning to do to navigate this bye week in your leagues? And then I have some I have some things to do. Why don't you start? Okay. Well, what I've done is I've gone through the bottom of my roster, and I've been a little more liberal than I would be in other weeks, but I've called in leagues where I feel like I can afford to turn over some guys where there's no transaction limit that hurts me. And there's plenty of similar uh, replacement level guys in free agency. Like for, for example, I have one league, it's a weekly start. So I start like, I don't even remember like four forwards, three defensemen, maybe it's five forwards. If I have somebody not in my group of top five or six forwards, I have like a bench of four others. Those guys are gone. So I can cycle in someone who's actually going to get some games played in for me this week. So I'm being, uh, I'm being, this is a, a one of my biggest roster turnover weeks for sure. There's no point in holding on to a guy. If you're waiting for him to prove himself on your roster and you recently picked him up or there are other players like him in free agency, let him go. Throw in someone who plays three or four games next week and then just pick him up again at the end of the week because nobody, I, I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to make a move unless they don't know about the schedule, which is possible. That would be your Achilles heel. If you're playing with people who don't, who are just not at all aware of how many games a team is playing this week, if you drop someone of even medium value that somebody sees it like and gets really excited about, then that guy could get snagged. But otherwise, I think it's okay for you to for, be be liberal with how you treat your roster and especially the bottom of it if they're not playing too many games. Yeah, I don't know, Brian, because uh, the thing is, all of these teams that have only one game 
Next week, play like four times the following week. So let's say, okay, I'm going to throw Tanner Pearson out there. He's been on line one, power play one in LA. He's on a bit of a run right now. Let's say you drop Tanner Pearson. It might not only be the people who aren't paying attention to the schedule that said, oh, he's doing pretty well. I'm going to pick him up. It's also the people thinking ahead. If there's one person in your league that's maybe doing well in their matchup, or maybe they don't even care about this matchup. Maybe they're in first place, second place. They're they're okay with giving up a week to pick up a good player. So it is a bit risky to drop someone. And I guess we'll have to go through each player. Like a guy like Tanner Pearson, it, it depends a lot on if he's the type of person that you weren't expecting to keep on your team for more than a couple of weeks anyways. But yeah, just keep in mind, there's next week is tough. And then the following week is also tough because all the teams playing four times are going to play one time in the next week and vice versa for the most part. It also depends on where you are in your standing and what your format is. So like if you are sitting pretty right now in your league and you have a bunch of guys playing one game and like you kind of like them and you're not sure and there's really like no big difference as to whether you win or lose this week or or what two or three extra games played are going to do for you then you have the luxury of standing pat with your guys and then trying to pick off others as they get dropped by people cycling out for more games played could be a real benefit to you later in the week especially if people start panicking Uh, and like you said Elon at that point you can start looking to the week ahead if you're if you're in a weekly league especially tomorrow is when you need to start making moves for the next week. There's no sense in waiting unless you're like me and you grabbed Sebastian Ajo like like three hours into when you could trade out guys. And uh, now he's injured. He was healthy all week. And uh, now he won't even get to play for me and all the other guys have been snapped up. So that's... Well- that's that's unfortunate. Well, we'll get to Ahu. He's day-to-day, yeah. so he, he could potentially come back. I think it's also, okay, one more general piece of strategy before we get into some players. It might be a bit of a game of chicken, you know? Like, it's like, when do you pick up these guys who are only playing late in the week? Like, for example, Chicago plays... Tuesday and Wednesday, and they also play two other games later in the week. So I think a decent strategy might be drop your like guy who's only playing on Saturday, pick up a Chicago player, get those two games. Maybe then come Wednesday, then you grab back your Tanner Pearson. I don't know why I keep mentioning him, but he'll he'll be my guy, my one game example guy. Pick up your Tanner Pearson on Wednesday or sorry Thursday. In that way, you've gotten two games out of the Chicago guy. Then you're going to get one game out of Tanner Pearson. So that roster spot's giving you three games, not four games. But, you know, you're not waiting too long where the guy's going to get picked off. So you have to do a little bit of, like, I don't know, like 4D chess. Like, think about your week and figure out, like, how many games do I want to get out of this person before I'm going to swap them for the next person? Like, kind of plan ahead. Uh, I don't know. If you're in our Facebook group or on Twitter, we could try to help you out if you have a specific example. But, Brian, I think we should talk about some players at this point. I don't think we've ever gone 10 minutes into a podcast without actually analyzing some players. Who are some names that you're targeting from the teams playing like a lot next week. I was going to let you handle that, but I, I guess, uh, I well, no, I'll go, I'll go from Minnesota. You've got Nino Niederreiter and Miko Koivu who are free agents in a lot of leagues. Maybe even Jason Zucker is somehow available. Uh, if you're in a deeper league, you might be looking at Charlie Coyle. Uh, and then the Blackhawks of course have several players like Vinny. Hines- Elon, you have your whole list. How about you do it? And then I'll comment. Okay, yeah, like, obviously it depends on deeper league. Like, we don't know who's available. Like, on Carolina, there's, like, I find, like, uh, uh, like Toivo, Terrifying, and Elias Lindholm, Jordan Stahl are, like, always available and, like, being added and dropped in, like, my Cupful League and in our, like, joint league. Brian, so I don't know, if your league is, like, medium-ish, those guys might be available, so they might be good ads. Though it will be interesting to see, like, what happened to the Lions with Aho injured if he stays injured. So we'll actually discuss that a little bit later in the show. We've got Jacob Slavin, like, someone like that on defense maybe could help you with some peripherals and maybe get a point. Like, on Chicago, 
Chicago, we're going to get to Hinnestrosa. He's been on line one, doing well. Osterley, we're going to talk about him. We talked about him last week, so he's doing okay. He scored a goal today. If someone like Nick Schmaltz is available, like he should have been added a long time ago. Anyways, like definitely grab him. He's like a solid fixture on the Patrick Kane line. Like Calgary, I was saying last week, I really like Backland on line one and power play one, or I guess not line one, but you know, top power play and on a really good line. Minnesota, you've already said a few. And Minnesota, here's a trick. Uh, because it might be tough for you to meet your minimum goalie starts. If you have, let's say, Jonathan Quick and Semyon Varlamov, like especially if you have an injured goalie like Varlamov, you know, a lot of these goalies only playing once might be tough for you to hit your minimum if it's two or three. Take a look at Alex Stalock. Minnesota is the only team that has two back-to-backs during the week. So it's possible Stalock will play two games next week. And that could be really good. And we talked about last week when Dubnik came back, like Stalock did pretty well in Dubnik's absence. So he could be really good and potentially give you two starts. Uh, then you got Columbus who plays not four games, but three games early. So I like the strategy. If you could pick up a Columbus guy, get his like three games from Monday to Friday, and then you could drop him for someone else on the weekend. So you could potentially get four games out of that roster spot, maybe even five if you're really smart about it. You've got like Nick Foligno, Bjorkstrand. Those are sometimes available for Columbus. Washington, like Niskanen is back from his injury. So he might be good on defense if you want some peripherals. So those are some names that come to mind. Brian, we're going to get through a lot of players in this show. And specifically, we're going to go through a cold streak section where I'm going to be asking about players about, like, is it time where it's okay to drop them, especially if you have a bad schedule? Did you mention Calgary at all, Elon? Yeah, I said Backland. Okay. Oh. Yeah, sure. Um, who else? I just want to throw in a couple other names. Derek Ryan in Carolina. Now, he's pointless in his last two, but prior to that, he had five goals and nine assists for 14 points in 19 games played uh, with four power play points, 42 shots on goal, so just over two shots per game. He could be a good guy in deeper formats, or even like shallower formats. He's been, I didn't compare him head-to-head against Teravainen, but I don't think he's been all that far off. And compared to Jordan Stahl, I think he might even look more favorable. Um, And then uh, in Minnesota, Zach Parisi could be available. We're going to talk about him later in the show, though. And then, Elon, there's a team you're forgetting from this, and I think there's a hole in your strategy here. You're forgetting Vancouver, who plays a few times this week, because two of them are towards the end of the week. I think people are loading up now. Like, I think if you wait until Wednesday or Thursday to pick up guys who are playing Friday, Sunday, anyone who's had the foresight to to just collect as many games played as they can would have already made moves for people like Thomas Vanek, or Daniel Sedin or Henrik Sedin. So I think they're still worth considering, even though I know you would rather play chicken and wait till Wednesday or Uh Thursday to see if you need to make the move then. I might make a move to try and get them sooner rather than later. Well, Brian, I think there's a hole in your theory that there's a hole in my strategy, (laughs) which is that come Friday, you picked up, you know, well, Vanek and like, you know, a Sedin, they've been good anyways. But like, assuming it's not someone you normally would want on your roster. So someone like Vanek, let's say, who, by the way, has been doing really well. But okay, for the purpose of this argument, let's say Vanek isn't normally someone you'd want on your roster. You could pick up Vanek now and get his game on Tuesday and then have him do nothing for you all the way until Friday just because, yes, now I get his Friday-Sunday games. At that point, a lot of people are playing on Saturday, Brian. So you can use that roster spot to get someone on Saturday and then drop that person for someone else on Sunday. It's not going to be hard to fill out that roster spot at the end of the week. It's at the beginning of the week where nobody's playing and that's where I'm worried about. Like, you know, come Friday, pick up some random person playing Friday there's going to be a million people playing Saturday and then probably you'll be able to find a free agent on Sunday. So I'm more worried about getting the games early in the week and then you figure it out from there. But for sure, like Vanek and Daniel Sedin might be good because it, especially also if you're in a weekly league, like you were saying earlier, yeah. if your lineups lock tomorrow and it's for the whole week, then it doesn't matter what days they play. So. For weekly locks is absolutely when you you for sure need to make this move. Elon, I, I get 
get it. I get what you're saying. So you're saying instead of getting a Friday, Sunday game, you can get anyone playing Saturday, plus probably someone else playing Sunday. You're just spending a move. You're spending an extra move to get that extra game when you might not need. Depends on your format, of course. Make the move that's best for you. Elon, I think what you said is probably a little smarter than what I said. Hey, well, I usually call you the ad drop ace, but you made the comment that maybe of all the nicknames I've been giving you, maybe ad drop ace is more my thing. Though also, ad drop ace might be the name of Dave Betton, one of our great patrons who drops a stream scheme episode. I'm going to say, I want to say every week, but it's been kind of sporadic, but he did promise a stream scheme episode where he's going to go deep into every single team in the whole NHL and who you can drop and who you can add according to him. That's going to be available for our patrons. Anyways, okay. Let's get into some injuries, Brian. I've got some injuries and outdries to talk about. I kind of want to burn through them because I'm really excited about all the hot streaks and cold streaks that I've got lined up. But we've got to stick with the format of the show. Let's start with our first injury. And also the thing with injuries is that a lot of these players who are injured, they're not playing all the way until like next Saturday because of this bye week. So they might not even be injured by that time. So that's why I don't want to dig too deep into these lineups. For example, on the New York Islanders, Josh Bailey left Friday's uh, 4-0 loss to Pittsburgh with a lower body injury. Uh, not he's day to day like they haven't given a timetable for when he'll be back so hopefully it'll be by next week but there's no way to know and like this is a huge loss for his fantasy owners and of course for the islanders he's up to 50 points in 42 games on the year he got hot i'm talking about bailey when he bumped jordan eberly from line one and power play one and he like never cooled off like the season started bailey was a nobody eberly wasn't doing so well or whatever they decided to put bailey there and ever since then bailey's been getting points pretty much every game so with him injured, it's always very important to look at who got the spot on line one, who got the spot on power play one. Today, it was Alan Quine playing on line one with Anders Lee and John Tavares. And then Jordan Eberle got back on the top power play. So those are two guys that's maybe had a bit of increased value. Also, by the way, Andrew Ladd is injured and Anthony Beauvillier took Ladd's spot on line two with Barzil in Eberle. So Brian, I guess the big question to you is who is Alan Quine? Because he's the one person I would consider adding if he's going to be playing with Lee and with John Tavares, if that happens to happen for an extended period. Alan Quine got hours and the hockey world's attention. Uh, it was in the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs where he had a goal and four assists for five points in 10 games. One of them was huge, or was it a goal towards the end of the regular season? I don't know. We were talking about him. We named an episode 1990 Quine, which was very clever, given the context of the time with Prince just having died. But uh, enough about that. Good for you, Brian. Here, yeah, let thanks. me give you a... Good job. Wow. You got to use the bell. I made a, I patted myself on the back. It's a win-win. He hasn't done much lately though. In Bridgeport this year, he also hasn't played much. Someone played four games, had a goal uh, this year in the bigs. Like, I don't know. Whoever's playing on that top line obviously has a decent shot, but Josh Bailey was the one cashing in a whole lot. So downgrading uh, away from him to Alan Quine seems like a pretty big drop for a pretty key piece of the line. So I'm not about to automatically suggest you go pick up Alan Quine. If he stays there for a while, sure, go for it. If you want to add him speculatively, then by all means. But he's not someone I'm looking at as having huge offensive upside. Although, to be fair, he has done pretty well in the AHL over the last few years. He had 61 points in 75 games back in 2014-15, 48 points in 56 games in 15-16 course uh in his full nhl season just 18 points in 61 games i've thrown a lot of stat lines career season long stat lines out for you just to say that alan quine who by the way has the distinction of having been drafted twice once by the red wings once by the islanders two years later is uh eh, 
You're mad. Just, You're mad at him. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely mad. don't add him now because the Islanders don't play again until next uh, Saturday. But if he's still on that top line, you'll obviously have to check. Like, you can think about it. Today, he didn't do much. He had one shot, no points. He was plus one. So he was on the ice for a goal for whatever that's worth. You know, not too much ice time. But hey, maybe if they keep him there, like, there's not too many better lines you could be playing on than that Islanders top line. But Brian, you would think there's also not a better power play to be on than that Islanders top power play. But Nick Letty has gone really cold lately. He only has four assists in his last 14 games. That was actually before today. What did he do today? Still no points today. Four blocks, though, for my opponent in the couple actually really hurt me. I think it's going to cost me the blocks category. But regardless, Nick Letty, really cold right now. So that makes it four assists in his last 15 games. Before that, he had 24 points in 28 games to start the year. So he was just on fire and now completely cold. And that's actually going to be a common like pattern that we're going to see with a lot of the players I plan on bringing up today. And, you know, to make it more concerning, the Islanders... Like they generally score a lot of goals, but they had a lot of two or less goal games in their last uh, five games or so. They scored a lot of goals today. So maybe that's a silly thing. But I don't know if maybe the Islanders are scoring less or if it's just Nick Letty. Like he's been on power play one this whole time, but nothing's happening. Do you expect Letty to get back to his pace from before? Or is he maybe just a 40 point guy that went on a hot run at the end of last season, then at the start of this one? Because aside from that run at the end of last year, they're going into the start of this year. He's generally never been more than someone you could expect a half a point per game from. Well, the New York Islanders were scoring more goals, and so he was getting more points. That's a big part of it. They have just one power play goal as a team, though, in their last six games. And the Isles' goal production has certainly been below what we got used to uh, earlier in the year. They're now down to less than three goals, four per game, just over the last month, when we were seeing them up close to four earlier in the year. And what we've seen from the uh, the Islanders that's made that happen is they had an 11% shooting success rate. Now it's been down to a league average 9.1 over the last month, which of course brings their total goals scored more in line with the rest of the league. Now that doesn't necessarily wholly absolve Nicoletti for diving down to a 25-point pace in that span, but it does explain some of it. He's now on pace for 53 points, which honestly I still think seems like a reasonable finish for him. Not a pace, but a finish. The only red flag in his variance oriented numbers is an IPP that's five to 10 points higher than what we'd expect. So it's reason to consider him down below 50 points, but not all the way down to 40. The guy had 46 points last year and he should be able to manage that pace again through the rest of the year. So I'm not quitting on Nick Letty. I'm going to keep calling him steady Letty for 45 points or maybe a couple more. Yeah, well, again, he did have 46 points last year, but it was buoyed by a really strong finish from what I I recall. So I just am a little bit concerned that maybe he's inconsistent. But yeah, I think that's fair to expect. Like, definitely, if he were to, like, end up the season with 40 points, that would mean he'd have to go on, like, a 20th or 30-point pace moving forward. So yeah, if he could go on a 40-point pace for the rest of this year, then that would probably land him around 50, which is exactly what you said. And so, Brian, but going in now to this bye week where the Islanders don't play until Saturday, if someone's in a shallowish league, let's say a league, we've had a lot of people mentioning that Jared's Spurgeon is available in their leagues. He's another top power play guy who, for some reason, no one wants to own, even though I think he's like a pretty solid option. And Minnesota plays four times next week. Would you, like, let's say in your weekly league, would you consider dropping Letty for someone like Spurgeon, get four games instead of one game, but potentially lose Letty for the season? I think I'd make that switch. Spurgeon also has good peripherals, so it depends what your league counts. That is absolute. like, that's not even a huge step down. So help yourself for the next week. And hope, hey, maybe everyone's going to look at Nick Letty, see he's done nothing lately, see he only plays once, and leave him be so you get to make that choice going into next week. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a terrible swap if you really need to make, uh, make a big move for next week, if you really need to win. And even if you don't, it could be worth your while just to stream out. If a guy like Jared Spurgeon is available, 
seems likely that Letty will at least last a little while in free agency. Yeah, you could even drop Letty for Spurgeon. Waivers is usually a couple days, like maybe by Wednesday morning or Thursday morning, you grab Letty back and have him for a Saturday game and then all of next or the following week where I think they play four times. Okay, next injury. Jake Muzzin was a game-time decision yesterday, but then was put on IR, so I don't know what that means. I'd imagine he'll be back next Saturday. Nice oppor- This is the kind of nice opportunity where you get to stash Jake Muzzin in IR and you know you don't have to worry that he's actually injured because he was almost going to play yesterday. I wish like all of my players who are playing once would just get IR designation like that, but it doesn't happen. Happen to the Muzzin owners. I basically wanted to bring him up, though, because I wanted to talk about Alec Martinez, who's actually already been getting top power play time, even when Muzzin was in the lineup. Yesterday, LA went a bit wonky. They ended up just having Drew Doughty. They've always been a team that has had two defensemen on the top power play. Yesterday, they switched it up. They had Brown, Kopitar, Pearson, Toffoli, and Doughty on power play one. So that would be bad news for Martinez or Jake Muzzin, I'd imagine, moving forward. But Brian, we haven't talked much about Alec Martinez. He's been on the top power play for a while now, but he only has 12 points in 39 games to show for so he's very far off track from his 39 points that he had last year he's still blocking a ton so he's not like completely useless but do you think Alec Martinez just sort of had a lucky year last year and he's never going to be able to meet that 39 points again or is he a really good potential second half bounce back candidate like maybe if, if now he might get dropped just because of this week's schedule and I feel like someone who's been on the top power play plus gets you these blocks he's someone that could be good he was actually dropped in my cupful division earlier in this week and I really wanted to add him but I'd already used my four moves and then he got added today by someone else. I would say the real Alec Martinez is probably in like the 30, maybe 35 point range rather than 39. And with power play time, I imagine he's got a shot at at least bouncing back to to 30 if he can keep his spot on getting in on power play one every now and then. Except we know the Kings, like they always have two guys back there, but sometimes it changes randomly and without notice, which is what we've just seen. Um, as for Mar- like going back to projecting Martinez, the 35 points, just to be clear, that's still like the highest I'd comfortably expect if everything breaks right. He can get back to 39 if everything breaks right, and then some more on top of that. Okay. And then I also want, I was bringing up Tanner Pearson a lot lately. So that's mentioned. So basically if Pearson and Toffoli are both on the top power play, that's great for both of them. Toffoli's probably already owned in most leagues, but Tanner Pearson may not be. And he's really intriguing to me right now because he's also been on line one with Andre Kopitar and Dustin Brown. I kind of like Tanner Pearson's spot on the roster better than Tyler Toffoli's. He was cold for a while, but he got an assist on Tuesday versus Edmonton, two goals and an assist versus Calgary on Thursday. Then he had another assist yesterday versus Nashville. Maybe he's not someone to jump on right now with that bye week, but He's on my radar for the following weeks and for the rest of the season, especially in this spot. Do you concur? Yeah, both these guys, Toffoli and Pearson, are always on my radar. Pearson has been one of the more regularly rewarding streamers of the last couple of years. Someone who, if you catch him on a hot run, he might be able to keep it up for a little while. And he's certainly now in a position to succeed. Also, uh, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. But a good place to update that Jeff Carter is now walking without a boot or crutches. Still no real timeline to return, but likely before the season ends, which will, of course, bolster anybody in the L.A. top six. Yeah, except for the person he bumps from the top six, but that's okay. Like, I guess Adrian Kempe will probably, but no one owns him at this point anyways. Okay, next injury. So Semyon Varlamov was injured on Tuesday, and Brian, Jonathan Bernay has come in, and he's been really great in Varlamov's absence. So Bernay led in two goals on 23 shots in relief for Varlamov on Tuesday versus Winnipeg. Then he shut out Columbus, stopping 34 on Thursday, and then he stopped 34 of 36 in the big 7-2 romp Colorado made over Minnesota yesterday. So don't look now, but Jonathan Bernay, 
is looking good. Like Varlamov's looking good. Like Colorado actually is a really good team. Like I don't know if people are realizing. Apparently they've already beaten their number of wins from last year, and we're only like halfway through the season. They're 22, 16, and three. They're right in the hunt for a wild card spot in the West. So Brian, should people consider adding Bernier now, or at least? as Saturday approaches, if Varlamov still appears to be injured. Like, I feel like when Varlamov got injured, I was thinking, I'm not going to add Bernie. Like, I don't want to risk my stats. But this point, like, Colorado seems like a team that has a good shot to win most days. And Bernie is on a bit of a run right now. Tough to add him now with this bye week coming up. But also, if Var- you know how Varlamov goes. Like, he might be back Saturday and be fine. Or this could be, like, one of those groin injuries that lingers. And who knows how long he'll be out. Yeah, we heard that he was day-to-day, which is why nobody rushed to grab Jonathan Bernier. And it was kind of a surprise to hear that he was going to be out for any longer than day-to-day. We initially found out he was day-to-day back on, well, the night of January 2nd. It's now January 7th. We've heard nothing, which is, I, I don't know if it's concerning or not. But in the meantime, if you've got room for a goalie, why not try Jonathan Bernier? Colorado's flying pretty high. They're rocking the league's second highest all situation shooting percentage. So they're probably scoring a little more than they should more so on the power play, but also like, I don't think they should be docked a whole ton of goals from, from that shooting percentage. Their place in the standings last year was also a little misleading. We called the abs a mess because we didn't know whether to attribute their troubles to poor team management or just straight up variance. And now that they're showing that they can succeed this year, maybe we can retroactively attribute Colorado's struggles last year more to variance since they seem to be capable of taking advantage of things breaking more their way. And that's why, yeah, I'll take their goalie. Just be cautious because, well, they don't exactly have a rock steady decor. And Jonathan Bernier has also been known to do this sort of thing before where he comes in, plays well for a few games, you know, like spits in the face of everyone who is like, ah, forget it. Like, I'm not going to risk starting Jonathan Bernier. He rolls like three shutouts and then the bottom falls out. So just be aware of that. Right, yeah. Pay attention to who they'll be playing when you decide to pick him up, I guess. But yeah, maybe one of the reasons why Colorado's doing better this year, Miko Rantanen is a year older. He's been so good. Like, Rantanen and McKinnon, like, I don't even have much of a question for you about these guys. We just gotta, okay, let's give these guys credit one more time. Like, McKinnon had a goal and two assists yesterday, brought him to 52 points in 41 games. Rantanen has put up three straight multi-point games. He's up 41 points in 41 games. Is it fair for me to predict at this point that McKinnon is gonna be, like, over a point per game and Rantanen can be expected to be like a 70 75 point guy at least like or do you expect any like do you I guess you just said that you see some more goals and maybe they should have had like do you expect these guys to regress like I feel like if you think that Rantanen and McKinnon are going to be a lot lower than they are now then now would be the time to trade them because their value has never been this high it's crazy they're even getting all these points recently with Tyson Barry injured you would have thought that would have hurt at least their power play but nope like they're both rolling like crazy They don't care. Nathan McKinnon is on a 104-point pace. So he has 52 points already, which means he's already beaten his sophomore season. He's matched his production from two seasons ago and is one point away from equaling his 82-game total from last year. So in other words, he's about to lock in his second most productive season ever with nearly 40 games to spare. The good news about that is that, well, if you have him on your team, congratulations. He's been amazing. And he and his teammates have been legitimately more dangerous at even strength and on the power play than previously. Uh, His all situations on ice expected goals for per 60 is up for the fourth consecutive year. McKinnon gained more than half a goal since a couple of years ago. He's also shooting above 13%, which is nearly double the 7% he's shot for the last few seasons and is a result of career high shooting percentages at both even strength 
and on the power play that are significant bumps above previous high watermarks. So yeah, I don't think he's going to keep scoring quite as many goals as he had. But he sure looks like the real deal. Still, Miko Rantanen, sort of a similar story, although his own shooting is right in check with last season. Rantanen has a very nice 15% conversion rate uh, that he had last year as well. So I want to see him take another couple hundred shots on goal, see if he can establish himself as an above-average, higher-percentage shooter. And Gabriel Landeskog, we need to bring him up in this conversation, also going wild, also a candidate for some regressions. Like, all these guys, the whole the whole line, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, they're all candidates for regression. But again, they look really, really good, so it's not an easy thing to say. Uh, this isn't a line of guys who are totally lucking their way into some temporary scoring. Rest of the way, 41 games, I'd be setting my sights on about a point per game for McKinnon and point totals in the mid-30s for the other two. That's for 41 games. I'm not talking pace, obviously. Okay. Seems fair. So you're saying maybe a little bit of a decrease, which is, I I kind of accounted for that. I was saying McKinnon seems like he's going to end up with over a point per game, which if he is a point per game moving forward, then he will end up there. And I said Ranson can end up around like 75 points, which seems to be what would happen if he only gets 35, say, points in the next 42 games. Okay, Brian, you know what? We look a lot at numbers and stuff to do this podcast. We got the spreadsheets out. I'm sure you've got reams and reams of papers that you're printing out to prepare for these shows every week. But you know what people say to really be good at knowing what's going on on the hockey rink you need to watch the game and what better way to watch a game than live and what better way to get access to these live games and to buy your tickets to the games from our sponsors for this week episode SeatGeek. Guys, you know how annoying it is to sometimes buy tickets for sporting events and concerts. You go to the site, you put in the ticket, like, oh, it's only 100 bucks. That's not so bad. Then all of a sudden, when you get to checkout, you see like a million fees and extras. All of a sudden, it's like $200. Like, you're like, what? Why does that have to be so complicated? Why can't you just tell me the price? Well, guess what? There is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. There's the smartest, easiest way to buy tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. And Brian, if that's not enough, if this great experience, ticket-buying experience, isn't enough to convince you and the great values you'll be able to find, how about we throw out another offer to the listeners of Keeping Carlson? Yeah, if you're on the fence about trying SeatGeek, how about this? From listening to our show you get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just like that, you've earned 20 bucks. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, that's promo code KEEPING, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Be a geek, buy a seat. You're welcome. By the way, Brian, I don't think if you listen to any other podcast that promotes SeatGeek, they don't get that $20. That's only from our podcast. That's, that's what I've heard. It's a rumor I've heard. Anyways, okay, let's go to our next goalie injury. Apparently, Jimmy Howard is hurt for Detroit. Again, he could be back by next week, and he's day-to-day with a lower body injury. Mrazek getting the start tonight versus Tampa Bay. Brian, do you know who's starting for Tampa Bay tonight? <laughs> well, now I just want to look. But why don't you guess? Do you know who their backup... Christer- Christers Gudlevskis. It is not Christers Gudlevskis. So Budai is injured. Take take another guess. You're never going to guess. Now I've already looked, and I remember that Louis Domingue was sent over to Tampa recently, and he's playing. Is this his first game as a member of the Lightning? 
Yeah, I actually saw that Louis Domingue was playing. I saw like a notification because I subscribed to the goalie post notifications. I was like, wait a minute, Ranta's not playing? Why not? And I was like, oh wait, yeah, Louis Domingue isn't on Arizona anymore. He's on Tampa Bay. What a game. Domingue versus Mrazek. These are two goalies who I don't have much faith in, but one of them is going to get the win. But anyways, I was talking about Detroit and Mrazek. So Mrazek's going to get the start. Do you still think he's a good goalie? Are you over that now? I remember going into this season and like last year for sure, you're like, Mrazek's a good goalie. Detroit doesn't know what they're doing. Like, but he's he's been so bad. He's been like Eddie Lack bad. He's got an 892 save percentage in 11 games on the year so far. Before his 6-3 win over the Islanders in his last appearance, which was like three weeks ago, he had a sub 875 save percentage for five straight games. Four of those games, he didn't even play the whole game. He either came in late or he got pulled himself. Like he's been so, so bad. So what do you think about Peter Morazic at this point? Like if Jimmy Howard is out for, let's say, a couple of weeks, would you be grabbing Peter Morazic and expecting him to like potentially wrestle the job away? Or does he just completely suck and you can't trust him for even one game? First off, while I have been a believer in Peter Morazic's talent, it's been a while since I've really expected things to pan out. Remember hashtag tier five Morazic, which was very controversial at the time. And then turned it out to be uh, a reasonable... Am I, do I have that right? Oh. Do, I, do I have our own podcast history correct? Yeah, except it wasn't reasonable. It was too high. He should have been lower. <laughs> it should have been like 2.7. Well, I took a lot of heat for having him that low. So at the time, I guess. Uh, but no, I'm I'm kind of over Peter Mrazek. Would love to see him get a fresh start. Let's just say that, yeah, he's been lacking the numbers long enough that I've lost confidence in his ability to succeed in Detroit. It'd be very interesting to see what would happen if he got shipped somewhere else, although we did see how that worked out for Eddie Lack, which was not well. So I guess uh, he's got to show me something. Right now, he is beating the Louis Domingue-led Tampa Bay Lightning. No, sorry, he's losing 2-1 to one because he's given up two goals on 12 shots. So that's a bummer. Okay, yeah. Like, I think that Peter Mrazek will suck on every team. That's my prediction. It, like, a lot of people have egg on their face. A lot of people were giving the Vegas Golden Knights a lot of heat for not taking Peter Mrazek when they could have. I don't even know who they took from Detroit. I can't even remember, but whoever they took, didn't matter. Their goaltending is great. Their everything is great. They're amazing. Okay, but I don't want... Actually, I do think I'm going to talk about one player on Vegas this week. Just to I still... I'm still going to say, like, I think it would have been a reasonable asset management move to take Mrazek off the Detroit roster because he was the only piece really of value available to them and maybe he would do better in a different place I feel like no team should be trusting how Detroit has treated their goalies or other players over the last five years I would have loved to see him get a clean start I'm not saying it was the smart move to not get him just based on how he's suffering in Detroit I think uh, I think he could well I've already made the point I think he might be able to do well elsewhere they were clearly thin on goalies when they ended up having to throw Oscar Dansk in there I think uh, I think they could have used Mrazek or traded him to another team that would have liked him. Okay, I don't know. But I think that's a silly argument. Like, the fact that all their goalies got injured and they have to throw in Oscar Danks, that's not their fault. Like, any team that has their top three goalies get injured is going to have a no-name in there. And also, like, maybe they were thinking of grabbing Mrazek, then they watched some game tape from last year, and were like, oh, wait, no, he sucks. But anyway, okay, let's move on. Uh, since we're on Detroit, a lot of buzz right now about Andreas Athanasiu. He scored twice against Ottawa on Wednesday. That's why I feel like a lot of our patrons were talking about him. Got a lot of Ottawa fans there. So, yeah, he scored twice against Ottawa. He followed that up with a goal and an assist versus Florida on Friday. So that makes four goals and one assist in his last four games. 21 shots in that span. So Athanasiu has been throwing a lot of shots on net. I watched some of that game against the Sens. The commentators were obsessed with how fast he's. He's like, he's so fast. Like, he's even too fast for his own self. Like, by the time he gets to the net, he hasn't even shot yet. But anyway, yeah, they loved him. Uh, in the last game, he was playing with Larkin and Tatar on line two. He's also on the second power play. So a nice upgrade. I remember Athanasiu was on line four for a little bit. 
do you think he's worth a look after the bye week? You know, late in the week, you could grab him, get the Saturday game, and then get four games the following week. Is he someone that's interesting you, or do you feel the same way about him as you did about Tyler Bertuzzi last week, where you were just like, eh, Red Wings, who knows? Some will be good, some will be get bad. Never a way to predict it. No, I think I'm more interested in Athanasiu, although Bertuzzi did get an assist today. Uh, but I do prefer Athanasiu. Uh, although Bertuzzi is playing with, like, this is like an on one hand, on the other hand situation. Bertuzzi is playing with Nyquist and... Zetterberg! Yeah, so that's pretty good. That's a good spot to be. That's a good place to rack up assists if you are lucky enough to be on the ice while the Detroit Red Wings score. In Athanasio's first 26 games this year, he'd only seen more than 19 minutes in a game two times. He's now hit that mark, well, before tonight, I haven't checked, but he, going into tonight, had hit that mark in four consecutive games, which has helped him take... 21 shots in the last four. Uh, should he have scored four times on them? No, he shouldn't have scored that many times. But uh, is it also concerning he's still only managed one assist and playing on the second power play? Yeah, also. But I think at least that kind of deployment and the amount of shot taking puts him into, into Tatar-like streaming territory, especially if you're chasing shots on goal. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, always tough with the Detroit guys. A lot of guys available. By the way, Brian, today, Nyquist with a goal assisted by Bertuzzi and Zetterberg. So anyone who picked up Bertuzzi after listening to us talk about him last week, there you go. You got yourself an assist. Enjoy it. But probably you could drop him now going into the bye week. Brian, uh, what about like other Red Wings? Like Mike Green is another guy I wanted to ask you about. We're going to have a bunch of defense. So we already talked about Letty. Mike Green, three assists in his last three games, but overall not much going on with him. Is he the type of guy you'd be holding through the bye week to only get one game at the end of the week? Or do you feel like at this point, he's probably not someone you could rely on? And if there's someone even slightly similar in free agency, then you could probably let him go. It's all about if there's someone slightly similar in free agency. If the next best option in free agency has 30-point upside, then you hold Mike Green. If the next best guy is 40-point upside, then you yeah, you could probably swap him out. Are you going to ask me the question that I'm waiting for you to ask me, which is, is there any other Red Wing I'd hold during the bye week? Yeah, who would you hold aside from Zetterberg? I was gonna, I'll mention, I was gonna call Anthony Mantha a snoozer, actually. He was benched for a game and then he was demoted to line four, but somehow he actually has a point in each of his last two games. I don't expect that to last. Definitely don't hold Anthony Mantha at this point. But Brian, who do you like on the Red Wings as someone you would hold with only one game next week aside from Zetterberg? Dylan Larkin is on a 70 point pace, a five game point streak, and in his last 10 games has 11 points and is averaging three shots per game. So I think he's probably worth holding on to over the bye week. Gustav Nyquist is on the fence. You know, he's only on about a half point per game pace on the season, but he's also taking three shots steadily and has, well, now seven points in his last nine games, including his goal tonight. I'm less compelled to hold Nyquist than Larkin, but he's still worth considering. Yeah, I was thinking that Larkin, oh yeah, I know he started the season well, but he's probably not done much lately. He actually has 11 points in his last 13 games. So yeah, hard to let go of Larkin at this point. That's for sure. Good for him having a nice bounce back after a crappy sophomore season. All right, Brian, so uh, another injury. Oh yeah, we're still in our injuries section. Uh, Sebastian Ajo was hurt yesterday in that terrible loss to Boston, which by the way, like Cam Ward started letting two goals right away. I think didn't even make a save. They brought in Darling and then Darling totally blew up himself. So yeah, Boston destroyed the Carolina Hurricanes. And not only did they destroy them in that game they also destroyed their top player and Sebastian Ajo who's now day-to-day with a lower body injury that's according to GM Ron Francis looks like the lines were all over the place as you'd expect when your team is getting destroyed seven to one uh, at some point Brock McGinn took Ajo's spot on line one with Tara Vinen and Jordan Stahl but I can't imagine you'd be jumping to add Brock McGinn even though Carolina does have those four games next week you'd have to be in a pretty deep league maybe take a look at the practice lines 
going into Tuesday's games, like who's on the top power play, taking Aho's spot and the spot on that line. I'm not even going to ask you about Brock McGinn unless you really want to talk about him, Brian. But yeah, speaking of Aho, like I did want to mention he's been on a really nice roll lately. He had two goals and one assist versus Pittsburgh on Thursday. He actually has 10 points in his last nine games. He's up to 33 points in 43 games on the season, which is a 63-point pace. Brian, like, go, like uh, at the start of the year, he was doing nothing. A lot of people were really disappointed in him. I think he was dropped in a lot of leagues. But at this point, 63-point pace, that's what we were expecting. He's pr- right on pace with our expectations, which is hard to believe considering how disappointed everyone was in him. Would you take the over or the under for him ending up with six? Well, I guess now he's injured, but like his point pace moving forward being 63 points. You think he'll be able to keep this up and maybe do better or do you expect him more likely to do worse? How Sebastian Ajo has found his way to a 63 point pace is unbelievable. I can crop two short runs this season, totaling 17 games. So 40% of the games he's played and come away with 73% of his total points scored. That means like three quarters of his production has come in like selected, like two different short, like one was a one week run and other was a two week run. That's maddening, especially in a head to head format, especially in other formats where I have personally stayed with him too long in dry spells and added him too late in hot runs. And of course I added him for this upcoming bye week, as I mentioned, and now he's hurt. Oh, and last week's crazy run came while my cupful opponent had him. So he is probably one of my most personally frustrating players this year. Anyway, I will take the under on a Sebastian Ajo can keep up a 63-point pace the rest of the way. Look, he scored six times on 23 shots in this most recent explosion. I'm just going to stick, as I have all year, with my 55-point expectation from him, 60 if things go really well. I guess we'll see. Like, at the end of the day, he is like getting the top ice time, top power play. Like If Carolina's going to score a lot of goals, then Ajo's probably going to get in on a lot of them. So it kind of depends if they can keep up their scoring. doesn't matter, though, how many goals they score. They're still going to lose because their goaltending has been so bad. Like Scott Darling, if, bad luck to anyone who had them on their roster yesterday, even though Ward started. Sometimes maybe you just don't realize, like, ah, whatever. I don't even have to think about whether or not I should put him in since he's not starting anyways. You left him in your roster. He gave you five goals against on 28 shots. He's down to an 893 save percentage on the season. Like I think we've already talked about this, but like at this point, if you still own Scott Darling, just like why? Like, I don't know. I feel like no, Matt Brian, you can tell me if you still have some faith in him. Like, this has been a season of a lot of goalie busts, a lot of people who drafted Matt Murray or Cam Talbot or whatever. There's a lot of names of people who are really disappointed that they drafted these goalies so high. I feel like Scott Darling has got to be the biggest bust of the season in terms of goalies that we thought would be undisputed starters going into the year and have been terrible. The other goalies that come to mind, Craig Anderson, he's been pretty awful, but at least we can put some of that on the team he plays for. Matt Murray, yeah, he also comes to mind as a bust, but like I'm still okay to have him on my fantasy team. Scott Darling had a real good opportunity, better opportunity than Craig Anderson to put up numbers and has been nothing but awful at this point. We're wondering if he'll recover to be able to make something of next year not worth holding now in just about any format We've 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 stayed with him as long as we possibly can. I just don't see how he's helping your team at this point when he's not even likely to get the majority of starts down the stretch. Matthew is bringing up Mason in the chat room. How quickly we forget he was expected to be a starter going into the year. And yeah, he gets no starts. I don't even know who I'd rather have between Darling and Mason. I would just throw in the towel and quit playing fantasy hockey if I had to choose between those two. 
Uh, okay, let's get into some outjuries. Now, speaking of goalie bus, I brought up Matt Murray. He's definitely in the conversation. Last episode, we recorded Tristan Jari was playing, and we were going to talk all about, like, I remember I had it in my notes, like, is, is Tristan Jari, like, you know, challenging for the spot? And then just as we were getting to that conversation, we saw that Tristan Jari got injured while we were recording. And so then I was like, oh, I guess forget that. Now you got to ride Matt Murray. But anyways, Murray came in for the second half of that game. He got the win. Then he was very weak in a 4 nothing loss to the aforementioned Carolina Hurricanes on Thursday, where Cam Ward, of course, got the shutout, not Darling. Uh, so Murray was bad, and turns out Jari was just fine, and he played on Friday at the Islanders. He shut them out. Came back from his injury. 31 safe shutout. Boom. So for those keeping score, going into today, Jari's up to a 9.28 save percentage. Murray is at a 9.02, though I should point out, again, interrupting the flow to see what's happening now. Tristan Jari actually is having a bad game today. He's led in three goals against Boston. Man, Boston is the goalie destroyer this week. It's uh, 3-3, and Jari's only stopped three of 16 shots. But anyways, forget about today for now. I got to ask you, Brian, what are your thoughts on this whole goalie situation in Pittsburgh is like Jari a real threat to Matt Murray if he continues to do better than Murray do you think he's gonna be able to at least get half the starts and maybe more or do you think this is like a Rask Kudobin situation from earlier in the year where you're pretty confident that you know two three weeks down the road it's gonna be Murray getting the majority of starts again yeah my stance on this hasn't really changed right I think if the Pens had their druthers Matt Murray would be on his game and taking them into the playoffs unfortunately they don't have their druthers right now because they're fighting to just get into the playoffs. Murray isn't delivering, and Jari is. I feel like this bye week is coming at a really good time. Matt Murray, good chance to just collect himself, not start and mess up, not sit on the bench and watch Jari succeed. Just time to, like, clear the slate, start fresh. I'm very curious to see who gets the one Pittsburgh start later this week. It could go either way. In any case, I still... Like, I expect Matt Murray, if he can bring his game back up to just play league average, that should be enough to hold the starter's job for him. Of course, if the Penguins are still in a tight race, it is time to start having that serious conversation that Tristan Jari could be the guy they lean on as they continue to try and contend for a playoff spot, let alone the Stanley Cup. Yeah, well, Brian, actually, Pittsburgh plays twice next week on Saturday and Sunday, so they'll probably both get a game. So maybe we'll just get some more information in terms of who does better, who does worse in those two games. I'm sure they'll both play. Uh, Also, I wanted to bring up Daniel Sprong. We brought him up last week, but he'd only played a couple of games and he wasn't doing much. He was only on line three, but now it's a whole other story. On Friday, he played on line one with Crosby and Dominic Simone, and apparently they're together again today. Sprong scored twice and had an assist with six shots on goal in that game on Friday so it seems like a really nice own right now for as long as he stays on that top line I know this is like a theme of keeping Carlson ever since we started the show looking at who's playing with Crosby and wanting to own that guy I'm actually getting some deja vu right now though Brian of Gensel from last year he was doing well in the minors he made a big splash when he came onto the team I'm talking about Gensel then he had a couple games of doing nothing and I think we did a podcast where we were like ah forget about Gensel he you know he had a good game he was good in the minors but he's probably not going to be able to do too much this year and then we all know how the year ended he was on the top line he was getting all these points went into the playoffs could that happen again with Daniel Sprong it just seems so similar to me and also I'll just mention Dominic Simone he had two assists in that game on Friday also none of them have points today yet but yeah two interesting guys especially Sprong because he's taking all those shots again mentioned Sprong mostly last week it does feel a lot like Gensel, Shiri, Ruste all as we mentioned last week not much more to add since we did talk about him last week other than the latest deployment information which you already did and that he's cashing in where he is. So good job, Daniel Sprunk. 
Okay. Well, yeah, good job for him. Good job for the coaching staff for deciding to put him on line one. I guess we'll see if it works. Boston is now winning 4-3. Not a good game for Tristan Jari today. Can you blame him? Maybe we should give Jari and Darling a pass because it looks like Boston is unstoppable right now. Is it again just like these guys, Marshawn, Pasternak? Yeah, it's like all the regular guys. Pasternak has a goal. Marshawn has a goal. Bergeron has an assist. Man, like Boston is rolling right now. Too bad you can't get those guys off of free agency. On the other side of the coin, by the way, on Pittsburgh, Patrick Horkvist is now pointless in five games. He's not playing with Crosby, playing with Malkin, though. So he's not on the worst spot. He's still on power play one. Are you worried about him, like, going into this weekly matchup for next week? Pittsburgh doesn't play until Saturday. Would you consider dropping Horkvist, or do you think he's earned enough rope at this point that you're not too worried? I don't know how much rope he has because he's been cold for like a month now. Just a goal and three assists for four points in his last 13 games. Hornquist only has two points at even strength, though still has 34 shots and good deployment. And that's what's kept him on a lot of rosters throughout. I wonder if you could sneak him into free agency, like just let him go. I would want to have the plan to pick him back up, though, just because of how quiet he's been. Maybe you could make that move. Obviously, it depends a lot on how deep your own league is. I think it's something to consider, but also don't think he's like done for the year or anything. I would probably, if I owned him in the cupful, I would probably try and survive by holding him in my lineup. He, if you have not considered dropping him for any other reason yet, then you probably shouldn't consider dropping him just because he has a lighter week. Okay, yeah. So we are on outjuries still. We never actually talked about Logan Couture returning to the Sharks after missing some time in late December. He went pointless in his first three games back, but he then put up three assists versus the Sens on Friday, one on the power play. I believe he got another power play goal today. Couture now has, this is before today anyways, 29 points in 35 games. That's a 68-point pace, which blows away his output from the last couple of seasons. So, Brett, are we witnessing a Logan Couture resurgence this year, or do you expect him to fall back to his closer to 55 60 point pace that he had the last couple of seasons this year he's close to 70 yeah and part of that logan couture is on pace to set a career high of 33 goals despite having missed a few games we have not seen this kind of production from couture since he put up 67 points back in 2014-15 when that was kind of the norm for him one feature of that season and the several very good ones before it was a shot count for couture somewhere around 250 shots and after that 67-point season three years ago, his shot count started dipping. Uh, went to a pace just above 200 shots in 15-16, and in his first sub-200 shot pace season in 2016-17. The interesting part is that as his shot counts have dropped the last two years, his shooting percentage has risen. And I would love to say that he's just become more selective in his shooting and is you know, converting on chances. He's figured out the secret after being in the league so long. But I've seen no dramatic reinventions in his shot locations over the last seven or eight seasons. So I'm really not sure that he has just become more selective and successful in his shooting. In fact, his expected goals for per 60 has gone down while his shooting percentage has gone up as well. So maybe there's, you know, something I'm not detecting here. Maybe uh, there's a secret that I, I, I'm not seeing when I watch him play or in his numbers. But based on what I do see in front of me, seeing his shot rates go down, seeing his expected goals for go down. I anticipate a regression back to a point pace more in the neighborhood of 55. Okay, well, that would be quite a drop. So it sounds like you're saying if you have Logan Couture now, it might be a good time to sell, at least in one-year leagues. Brian, who would you rather have on San Jose after the bye week? Of course, you got Tomas Hurdle on line two with Couture and LeBanc, but on the top power play, he had two goals at Ottawa, pointless in five games before that. So you could have Hurdle, or you can have Timo Meyer, who's been on line one with the Joes, 
but not on the top power play. Second power play, but he has four points in his last five games before today. Three or four shots in each of those games. So he's been really good for shots lately. I'm just curious. This is more of a style question. Do you want to get the hot top line but not top power play shooter in Meyer, or would you rather have the top power play, probably more secure situation, but not as hot Tomas Hurdle? I'm going to go Timo Meyer, who I've gone several times this year and has never paid off for me. So I'm not sure why I'm still on that train. I drafted Hurdle out of the gate and that didn't work out for me either. I'd really just rather find someone else entirely. All right. Dave wrote, obviously, Hurdle in the chat room before you answered Brian. So clearly that's a disagreement. We should continue that conversation on the Facebook group. I think I would maybe go Hurdle also just because I'm more confident in, in him holding that spot. But it depends. If it's like a streamer that you're not planning to hold long term, then it doesn't really matter. You could ride who's hot. And I do like the shots on goal. But Hurdle on the top power play does interest me. And he's been there for a while. Okay, let's go to Nino Niederreiter, who's back for the wild. So we're finally seeing what their lines look like at full capacity. Unfortunately, Minnesota got trounced by Colorado yesterday. So perhaps all the lines will get shaken up and all, everything that we saw you know, yesterday isn't going to last. In Nino Niederreiter's two games back, he's been playing with Koivu and Grandland, which is a really good spot to be in. He had a hat trick versus Buffalo on Thursday, but nothing aside from a couple of shots and hits yesterday versus Colorado. The other lines, by the way, were Zucker with Stahl and Ennis, and they got a couple of points. Those guys, especially Stahl and Zucker, and then Charlie Coyle with Parisi and Erickson Eck. So, you know, again, Minnesota is one of those teams that play four times next week. So if you think Parisi can maybe pop a goal, get his first of the year, then Charlie Coyle might get the assist there. So he might be someone you want to add in a deep league. By the way, it's also been Parisi, Stahl, Zucker on one power play and Granlund, Koivu, Niederreiter on another power play with defensemen filling those out. Um, anyway, I don't know. Not, not really a question about Minnesota. Just wanted to fill you in. Uh, Zach Parisi, by the way. So it's been three games now since he's returned only one assist. He has nine shots. So three shots in each game. Like, okay, one question, Brian. Who would you prefer between Parisi and Niederreiter for next week and moving forward? Easily Nino Niederreiter. I think he's got the better ceiling for sure. That top line in Minnesota with him, Koivu, and Granlund, often forgotten, often underrated. Uh, keep in mind, like, both power plays in Minnesota look pretty evenly balanced. So I don't knock a bunch of points off of Niederreiter because he's on the unit that's seeing a little less time lately. Uh, Parisi's interesting. If he can do just like what Rick Nash was doing earlier this year, which is put up consistent shots while occasionally cashing in on good deployment opportunities. He can hold value in a lot of formats, but I still don't think he can go quite as high as Nino Niederreiter can. Okay, that's fun. Uh, either of those guys might be available for you in free agency, depending on how deep your league is, since they were both injured recently. So take a look going into this four-game week. Okay, one more outro. Corey Perry returned to the Ducks yesterday. It was kind of under the radar. I didn't realize he was going to be back so soon. He had no points in the 3-1 loss, but he got back on line one in power play one with Getzlaff and Raquel. So a great spot for Corey Perry. Here, I'll give you another comparison. We were high on Ryan Kessler last week. He returned from his injury. I personally would prefer Corey Perry, I think, playing with Getzlaff. I just want whoever's playing with Getzlaff. So I would take Perry over Ryan Kessler. How about you? Points only? Are, like, are we talking with Kessler? Like, if you're counting Kessler's peripherals, and definitely Kessler. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess I was kind of thinking about points and, like, power play points. Maybe. Actually, Kessler's really good with the blocks. I don't know. It's tough. But okay. I'm excited for Corey Perry in this really good spot. This is where Corey Perry can succeed, right? It's like when he's playing with Getzlaff on line one and power play one. If it was points only, I'm still not sure I'm ready to go with Perry. Kessler's done just fine. He collected 58 and 53 points alongside Cogliano and Silverberg over the last couple of years, mostly keeping up with Perry's totals, who is playing most often with Getzlaff. So I think I would still prefer Ryan Kessler. Perry also is just not looking great this year. Shot rates are down. Point pace is meh. On ice shooting percentage is high. 
And that's gotten him to here, which isn't still that good. And I get that like Getzlaff has been gone and now he's back. But all these numbers still point to a guy in Corey Perry that I'm not sure I trust to hold down a spot on the top line for long. And if he can, I don't even know that he can cash in with it. Okay, that's fair. So, Brian, now we are done with injuries and outjuries, except to say that Dave is giving us breaking news in the chat room that apparently Sam Girard got a shot to the head. Uh, wait, can't be Sam Girard. Is Colorado even playing? Dave, are you giving us some uh, false information? Here, yeah, Colorado's not playing. I don't know. Maybe Dan about. Girardi. Dan Girardi? Oh, well, who cares? I guess He scored isn't. tonight on Peter Morazic. Oh, and also I shouldn't say who cares. That sucks if he got hit in the head. I hope he'll be okay, obviously. Why am I laughing? I'm a bad person. Let's go to cold streaks. Brian, I have a lot of guys who I want to ask you, have they become sustainably bad? Like, are they going to continue to be bad? Or is this cold streak fleeting and you expect these guys to bounce back? So I've got some high name guys, guys who were drafted pretty early, probably a lot of drafts, but are letting their owners down. We already talked about Nick Letty earlier. I have a bunch more D I want to run by. A lot of disappointing D right now. Oliver ekman Larson tops my list. Only one assist in his last 16 games and only 36 shots in those 16 games. Normally, he's good for like three shots a game, or at least that's what we used to expect from him, but he's way down from that. Like I said, basically no points. He's hitting a bit. That's basically all that Oliver ekman Larson is doing for you right now if you own him is you're getting some hits. If your league doesn't count hits, he's doing nothing. Arizona plays twice next week on Friday and Saturday. It's really tough to hold someone who's been this bad through four days of no games just to probably not get points in the next two games based on what he's been doing so far. Would you still be holding Oliver ekman Larson? I'm sure you would. But like, I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts right now on him. Like, I don't know. I think a lot of people wouldn't. I, I'm waiting for him to get dropped from his first cupful division. I think it's going to happen in at least one of our what is it, 15 couple divisions? I'll bet you Oliver ekman Larson is going to be a free agent in one of them at some time soon if he doesn't bounce back quickly. Do you know for a fact that he hasn't been dropped yet? Yeah, I don't even know. Like, let me know if you're a patron and you know that uh, OEL has been dropped in your league. Because I, I wouldn't be surprised, although I would also feel like if you have him, you've waited this long, maybe you want to wait it out. Should you be waiting it out? Well, let's rewind a little bit. The last time we looked at Oliver ekman Larson was about five or six weeks ago, and he had been crushing it. 18 points in 27 games. He started the year for a 55-point pace, which had me considering Eden Crow after steadfastly insisting for the last two years that he was a 45-point player with 50-point upside against some very, very vehement disagreement. Not necessarily from you, from others, but as you said, Elon, Eggman Larson has now registered just a single point since the final day of November, a terrible 16-game stretch during which he's been a minus 15 and seen his team win just four times. I mention the team because they are a part of this. Just 32 goals for the Arizona Coyotes in their last 16 games, a reasonably healthy eight of them coming on the power play, so that doesn't bode well for Eggman Larson that he hasn't done a better job of getting in on those. Uh, but the problem in Arizona is definitely their even-strength scoring. Uh, that's not an excuse for being as awful as Eggman Larson has been, though. Look at Derek Stepan, Clayton Keller. They both have 11 points in their last 16. Alex Goligoski has nine from the blue line. Jacob Shikrin has seven, which Eggman Larson owners would be very happy to have. Mind you, those four names I just mentioned is essentially all the Coyotes with healthy scoring lines in this span that OEL has struggled anyway. I'm also concerned about Eggman Larson, not just the scoring, but he's back down to only taking a couple shots each game. He started the year during that initial hot run uh, on a pace for 235 shots and the last month have seen him shoot at a pace that would fall 50 shots shy of that mark sub 200 not quite as bad as last season when he allegedly had that hand injury and allegedly means I do believe it it just was never totally confirmed that that's what he was working through and the reason he struggled 
Anyway, still sad that he's not even going to get to 200 shots if he keeps this up. I mean, I can tell you that I'm licensed on a shooting percentage sinks, which is true, but it's also not going to make you feel any better. I think what you do with Ekman Larson is you hold him through the bye week, give him a week, see if he can Matt Murray himself. Uh, I'm assuming Matt Murray is going to benefit from the week off. Uh, get up to speed, see what happens. Otherwise, for the second straight year, yeah, OEL is heading into droppable territory. I think the next stretch of three, four, five games is as much rope as I'm willing to give him without showing me any more. Wow. Okay. I was thinking you would say like, hold on, because you have to, because he's on the top power play, but maybe on a team like Arizona, being on the top power play isn't enough, especially if your league counts plus minus, he's probably a free agent since he's hurting you so much there. Shams here in the chat room is saying, OEL is a free agent. Yours. Brian is saying, well, obviously don't add him now since you could wait at least till Friday, but maybe grab him on Friday, get his Friday, Saturday, and then some games next week before deciding if you want to hold him or drop him. And yeah, like you said, like Alex Goligoski, there are some Intriguing names on Arizona, not named OEL. Like you said, Goligoski, seven points his last eight games. Four of those on the power play. He's only on second power play, but he's making the most of it. I wonder if at some point they try him on the top power play, if he's able to score so many power play points on the second power play. Also, Goligoski hits a lot, which is great. Chikrin, like you brought up, not as many points, still more than OEL, like you said. But Chikrin's got 25 shots in his last seven games. That's over three per game. And he has a nice amount of blocks. So these guys are helping you in a lot of categories. Definitely take a look at them as we approach later in next week. Okay, next defenseman who's struggling. Maybe, I don't know, uh, Roman Yosi. Tell me if I'm even silly for bringing him up. He had a power play goal yesterday versus LA, but that's only three points in his last 10 games now. He's someone that most people drafted expecting like a 60-point pace. Are you worried about Roman Yosi at all? There was a stretch where he was bumped from the top power play. I still feel like the power play is a bit wonky. Like last year, it was Yosi on the top power play and Subban on the second one, but it seems like this year it's been reversed. So what do you think about Roman Yosi? Is this just a random slump, these three points in his last 10 games? Or do you think that this might be a big decrease for him? He's currently on his lowest point pace over the past four years. He's always been around 55, currently only on a 50-point pace overall and sinking. I'm not too worried about Roman Yosi. Looking through his numbers, I'm seeing zero red flags in the places I'd normally find them. In fact, I'm actually seeing one thing about Roman Yosi that I really like. That's his power play shot attempt rates are through the roof, like nearly double what they've been in the past. Nashville has tweaked their power play, apparently to his benefit, where he gets to take a ton of shots from his spot right above the right face-off circle. And that's one reason why Roman Yosi is on pace for a career-high 268 shots. Yeah, the last 10 games or so have not been the greatest. Uh, why he's slumping, I don't have an explanation. Just advice that you should weather the storm. Maybe it's a good time to buy low on him. Yeah, I guess with any of these cold streak questions, it's like either you're going to say, yeah, they're on a cold streak and you expect it to continue or yeah, try to maybe buy low and hope for a second half bounce back. Here's another guy in Nashville, Victor Arvidsson. Maybe now's the time to buy low on him or maybe he's just overrated. Like he only had that one good year last year. Now he's pointless in three games, only three points in his last 11 games, 25 points in 41 games on this season. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you, but that's basically a 50 point pace. Last year, he was closer to 60. I don't know. He had 61 points last year. So he's way behind his pace from last year, probably at the pace that we expected him to be going into last year. Uh, so, Brian, do you still have faith in Victor Arvidsson being a 60-point guy? Or do you think maybe he's more of a 50 guy? I would say that, well, I'll put it this way. It looks like we're not going to see another breakout on top of Arvidsson's breakout season last year. This year, the one thing I'm seeing is that his IPP is down from 70 to 50. So that accounts for you know, being off pace from last season. I can also tell you that this year doesn't look as gangbusters as last year in like the non-variance numbers. So the numbers that 
are reasonable reflection. Uh, for example, a few small drops in offensively oriented rate stats like shots on goal, shot attempts. That just means that he's not continuing to skyrocket upwards anymore. And a regression in Arvidsson's shooting percentage means that perhaps he shouldn't have quite scored 30 goals last season. If that IPP bounces back, though, I'll still happily have him within reach of a 55-point pace. But that's uh, that's about as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going to call another career year for Victor Arvidsson. Mm, too bad. And by the way, for those of you new to the show, IPP is just how many goals while he's on the ice that he's actually getting in on, like getting goals or assists on those goals. So a low IPP means goals are being scored while you're on the ice, but you just happen to not be getting the goal or assist. Okay, next defenseman slumping is Zach Wierenski. Only one goal in his last six games. Only 19 points in 38 games so far on the season. So that's just a 41-point pace compared to 47 last year. And I think a lot of people were expecting him to do better than he did last year. I see he even has a higher shooting percentage than last year. So normally you'd expect that to mean he's doing well. So that's another reason for concern. What's going on? Was he overachieving last year? And this is the real Zach Wierenski? Or is maybe now time to buy low? Yeah, Wierenski's owner should be really happy about his spike in even strength shooting percentage, not because it's sustainable. In fact, it is unsustainable, but it's at least a salve in the meantime for the low everything else that he's been doing, especially the low on-ice shooting percentage that Wierenski's line mates have been putting up while specifically on the power play. Now, the Blue Jackets did have two power play goals tonight, I think, if I read the box score right. And that means that what I'm about to say is going to ring a little more hollow than it would have otherwise. But... Take it at face value, please. Columbus is dead last in the league with a god-awful 11% power play conversion rate. Yes, the Blue Jackets also boast one of the lower team shooting percentages in this context. But as we said before, the Jackets aren't doing themselves any favors. Like, they deserve to have a low team shooting percentage. They rank 31st in expected goals for per 60 on the power play and have a full 11 fewer shot attempts per 60 minutes with the man advantage for context. Vancouver is in 30th place. They have 11 more shot attempts than Columbus. If you gave Vancouver another 11 shot attempts for 60 minutes, they would jump up to 15th in the league in that measure. So Columbus is not just at the back of the pack. They are miles behind the back of the pack. And of course, Zach Wierenski is feeling the hurt for that. He's on pace for only 14 power play points, which is nearly 50% off last year's mark of 25 points. And you give him those power play points that he's missing out on, things look reasonably normal for him again. But until Columbus figures out their power play, and I don't know that they will, Wierenski's 40-ish point pace looks right, which is a real darn shame, a wasted opportunity. Yeah, and like you said, Columbus had two power play goals today, which is nice. Hashtag Team Panarin did just fine. He got in on both of them, I think. But Wierenski, nothing to show for it. So that is a bummer. Okay, next disappointing defenseman, Tori Krug. I wonder if people listening, if they have these players, are they happy that we bring them up? They're like, oh, good, now I'll hear their take on these guys. Or are they, like, hoping we don't bring up their guys? Because that means we're not concerned about them at all. Uh, but yeah, Tori Krug, the next slumping defenseman. Boston scored seven goals yesterday and five goals on Tuesday, and Krug had no points to show for any of those 12 goals. Boston looks like they've scored a bunch of goals again today. They've, they're up 5-4 against Pittsburgh right now, so that's really... Oh, Jari's been pulled. Okay, not surprising. Uh, maybe forget... Uh, Brian's already right about Matt Murray getting the job back at some point. Maybe maybe Jari owners can drop him now going into the bye week. But anyways, I'm talking about Boston. Was I? I even forget now. Oh yeah, Tory Krug. So Boston has five. Again, no points for Tory Krug. What is going on with him? He's still on the top power play, but he's not getting in on any of the power play goals. He's not even getting that much time at even strength. It seems like his ice time has been down. Less than 20 minutes of ice time in each of his last five games. What's going on with Tory Krug? Is he in the doghouse? Are you worried about him? Gotta be honest. 
I haven't seen a lot of Boston play this year, and the Bruins also have one of the weaker media contingents in terms of me being able to glean any useful information about this kind of thing from their game day reports or recaps. What I do know about Tori Krug is that he was benched for an overtime, came back with two assists the next game, and now radio silence again now that he's gone pointless in three. The last two especially noticeable because the Bruins have scored 12 goals and counting. Maybe they'll add another before the end of this one. I can tell you that Tory Krug's shot rates haven't bounced back quite as well as I'd hoped after last year's down year in shot attempts. Uh, that's especially bad news for his power play attempts, which are now down for the fifth consecutive year. Krug is on pace for a career-low 167 shots on goal, and this is from a guy who we used to see above 200 for sure and at a high watermark of 244. So uh, someone who you know, you'd hope could, could get 40 points, top power play and throw a bunch of shots on net even when he wasn't scoring that's a big absence from his numbers that's something to be unhappy about apparently what I have gleaned from the Boston media is that coach Bruce Cassidy was quoted as saying I love the guy but it's not really looking that way with the way he's being deployed and he's not giving his fantasy owners many reasons to love him either well, yeah, for sure. He's been very disappointing. That's like the worst when the player's team scores all of these goals and then you look at the box score and you get absolutely nothing. Did you give a prediction of if you think he's going to bounce back? It seems like it's not looking too great for me. Like, obviously, he's on the top power play, so it's an Oliver ekman Larson situation. Like He's in a good spot, and it's better than an OEL situation because Boston is scoring a ton of goals, but I don't, I don't know. Like, what, what was your final take there? My final take is I, I honestly don't think I have the info to have a final take. It's really unfortunate. Like, I'd be watching his minutes. I'd be watching his power play deployment. I'd adjust my expectations for shots on goal. And I would start considering, like, if Jared Spurgeon happens to be out there, that's a switch I'd be ready to make. Damn. Yeah, well, I don't know if I disagree, but also I think I would still be holding Krug a bit longer. As long as he's on that top power play, it's really hard to let go of someone on a top power play with the likes of Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak, uh, Danton Heinen, I guess sometimes. It's like so many good names. How can you drop someone like that? Though, I mean, he's not producing. It's, it's frustrating. Okay, one more slumping defenseman, Dougie Hamilton. This is one I think we might be able to agree on. I'm curious to know where you'll go with him. He scored yesterday versus Anaheim. Before that, he was pointless in five. He's on the second power play. Like, Brody finally got bumped from the top power play, but it didn't help Hamilton at all. It was Giordano who got the spot on PP1. Hamilton now has only 17 points in 41 games overall. That's a 34-point pace. Calgary has four games next week, so obviously no point dropping Dougie Hamilton now if you have him. But if he only gets like zero or one points in those four games, would you be ready to recommend dropping him for the following bye week for Calgary where they only play one game? Dougie Hamilton's IPP is down to 39 this year. That's from 56 last year. The year before that, it was 56, 55, 39 again, 52. So, I mean, this is an unfamiliar territory for him in terms of IBP, but it's also lower than we've come to expect for the majority of his time in the NHL. And honestly, I think that's all that's happening here, which means I think Hamilton can do better than he has. And you know what? He's not quite as painful to hold on to as some of the other defensemen we've discussed because he has a reputation for throwing a lot of pucks on net, and those pucks are still being thrown on net. So, uh, no, I would not drop him for the bye week. Just to be clear, I would not drop Tory Krug just yet either, but it's time to start considering your other options. Okay, that's fair. So you like Hamilton. I I guess I always, that's one of my flaws maybe in fantasy. I'm never a fan of the 
like a defenseman not on the top power play or a forward not like in the top six you know that's why i get burned by nazim kadri every year anyway speaking of nazim kadri by the way i didn't even plan this but i wanted to next bring up jvr on toronto who is cold so we're done with defensemen but james van reemstrike he's ice cold he's been playing with marner and bozak just like last year still on that power play but he's pointless in four he just has eight points in his last 19 games and even worse He's not throwing those pucks on the net as much as he's usually doing. And he only has 40 shots in his last 19 games. That's only like two shots per game when he's generally good for three shots per game. That's what he's been in the previous few seasons. So what's going on here with JVR? 19 points in 23 games to start the season. And now this atrocity. Will he get back to his like 240 plus shots and 60 plus points form? Or is maybe JVR finally uh, taking a step back? You know, I think he might be taking a step back, but I'm not sure it's all JVR's fault that he's losing a step because he's also losing 80 seconds of even strength ice time per game compared to last year. So that doesn't help. And he lost a minute of ice the year before that. So overall, he's down from nearly 14 minutes a night to just under 11 and a half. We're talking even strength ice time over the last two years. And honestly, that may really be the whole deal. His points per 60 has remained reasonably constant and his power play scoring is still there thank goodness Marner's ups and downs this year haven't helped him either of course but you might want to adjust your expectations to closer align with JVR's ice time realities okay Brian you're doing a great job today by the way so many in-depth analyses and all these cold streaks I got more to throw at you I hope you're ready for it I would understand if you were like Elon cool it but I can't because there's more players disappointing their owners okay so we talked about TJ Oshie's return and subsequent slump last week looks like the Caps are trying to wake up TJ Oshie by putting him on line one with Ovechkin and Backstrom so that's great news for TJ Oshie that will definitely help and he's still obviously on the top power play but to me this seems like really bad news for Evgeny Kuznetsov who's now stuck with Verana and Tom Wilson on line two and Kuznetsov another one of these guys who had an amazing start to the year but is now slumping. He only has one point in his last five games. That was a power play assist. So he's clearly not able to do much at even strength right now. And this line mate situation doesn't seem like it's going to help make things any easier. Curious now, what's your take on Kuznetsov moving forward? He's still at 39 points in 41 games. So his overall season stats are amazing. But like I said, in his last five games, not doing much of anything. Is it time for his owners to try to sell high while he's still looking like a point per game guy? Or maybe uh, you think he's going to be able to bounce back because he's Evgeny Kuznetsov. He's a really good player. He's still on the top power play. Let's not like totally overreact here just from a line change that has not necessarily taken root. Those lines in Washington have been in flux a lot this year. Like, of course, if Kuznetsov is playing with Vrana and Wilson, you need to downgrade your expectations while he's away from the guys he's been scoring with all season long. But look, I have no idea if this sticks. Maybe it's just a way to get TJ Oshie going once he's going. He's got his mojo back, and then he can go on another line, and things can go back to the way they were. If you have a personal hunch, though, that Kuznetsov is spending the rest of the season with Tom Wilson and Jacob Vrana, sure, go ahead. See if you can get another point-per-game guy in return. But I would not be so rash to make a move because you're likely not going to be able to get someone who equals Kuznetsov's value when he is on the top line. Well, Kuznetsov's never on the top line, but you're saying at least having a decent winger. Yeah, that's what I mean. 
Okay, yeah, well, Kuznetsov again today. Actually, Washington scored four goals against St. Louis. No points for Kuznetsov. So the cold streak continues. I'd be worried about him. I'm always Kuznetsov's another one of these guys who I feel like I've been wrong about a lot where I've said, like, I don't know. I just don't think he's going to be able to keep it up. And, like, you know, I loved him at the beginning of the year when he was playing with Ovechkin. But as soon as he moved off the Ovechkin line, I was a little bit concerned. And, and here we go now. We'll see if he can bounce back. Okay, another player who had a monster start and is now slowing down. This is maybe the most extreme example, Braden Shen. And this is before today. So maybe all of this is going to be moot now because I see that he got some points today. But before today, Braden Shen only had two assists in his last seven games and only five points in his last 13 games. I've got this St. Louis Washington box score up right now. And Braden Shen, he had an assist. Okay, whatever. He got an assist. Still, he's not doing very well lately. Aside from Tarasenko, nobody on St. Louis has actually been producing reliably lately. Braden Shen included. Lines have been all over the place. Scotty Upshaw was on line one with Shen and Tarasenko earlier in the week. Looks like today they tried out Yaskin on the first line. Did Dimitri Yaskin do anything? I'm taking a quick look now. Actually, now I'm seeing Yaskin was scratched. I don't know. Those were practice lines. I don't even know what's going on in St. Louis with these lines. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about Braden Shen anyways and forget about all these other guys. It seems like there's a lot of snoozers or slumpers on the Blues aside from Tarasenko. At the start of the year, we all thought it was kind of crazy when Dauber pegged Braden Shen as a 70-point guy in his projections. And then he produced above a point-per-game pace for a couple of months, made Dauber look like a genius but you know what? It's pretty much since Jaden Schwartz went down with injury that Shen's numbers have gone down. So, Brian, what are you thinking for Braden Shen moving forward? Can we still at least put him at that 70-point pace that Dauber projected? Like, obviously, he's not a point-per-game guy. We're clearly seeing that 70 points would still be amazing, and he's not even putting that up recently. Like, like I said, he's less than a half point per game in the last month or so. Do we need to wait for Schwartz to return before Shen can do something? Like, what's your take overall in this situation? That's probably the optimistic take on this, is that a Schwartz return will fix everything. I'm not sure I'm totally on board with that, though. Braden Shen has 12 points in his last 22 games, so, like, barely a half-point-per-game player for half the season now, yet still on pace for 78 points, which just shows how incredible his start was. And that start fed off of a high IPP and a high on-ice shooting percentage. Of course, having Jaden Schwartz was helpful, but Shen was bound to fall off regardless of Schwartz's health. My argument so far about Braden Shen has been that, look, he played with Voracek and Giroux for years, topped out at 59 points. Perhaps a St. Louis sitch is somewhat better, but I don't know that it's 15 to 20 points better. So I'll expect a 60-point pace rest of the season from Shen. Maybe he can get up to a 65-point pace once Jaden Schwartz comes back. That's still the optimistic end of things. I'm not someone who is eagerly buying low on Braden Chen. In fact, if I own him, I'd rather be trying to sell high and find that person who wants to buy low. Yeah, that makes sense. And Jaden Schwartz, by the way, still, I don't think there hasn't really been any updates. Like the last thing I'm seeing on Roto World is from December 10th saying he sustained an ankle injury that will sideline him for quite a while and said they would wait six weeks before even doing a reevaluation. So I guess it hasn't been those six weeks yet. We'll maybe get some news in a couple of weeks now. I think if that makes sense and find out what's going on with Jaden Schwartz, who knows? He might even be out for the rest of the season. Hopefully not. He was doing so, so well. And anyway, since we're on St. Louis, got to talk about their goalie situation. Carter Hutton has now played four games in a row. And today he finally had a bad game, actually, against Washington. He lost four to three. So maybe this will be the end of it. But before that, he did so well. Like Allen left near the end of a game versus Dallas back on the 29th. And since then, Hutton had been like unbeatable. He had three straight greater than 920 save percentage wins. And overall on the season, 
Hutton going into today, Carter Hutton has a 947 save percentage, while Jake Allen only has a 911 save percentage. So Carter Hutton has been better. There's been a few situations like this that we've brought up, and it always turns out that the starter takes over at the end. Do you think this is going to be the same thing as Jake Allen, especially now that Carter Hutton had a bad game after the bye week? Is Allen going to come back and take over as the starting goalie? Like, should his owners be worried? Or do you think this is just a blip that might already be over? I still expect Jake Allen to be the starter for the Blues this year. Carter Hutton has performed very well, for sure. But I still don't see, like, if I'm comparing Hutton and Allen to another goaltending situation we've seen this year, whether it's Rask and Kudobin or Murray Jari, I would say it's closer to Kudobin Rask just because of Hutton's pedigree as not necessarily being up to the job of a full-time starter, whereas we don't know that quite about Jari yet. Also, I think Allen has had a, a better season on the whole than Matt Murray. So Carter Hutton's been wonderful while Jake Allen, you know, is taking some time off. He like he kind of got a raw deal, right? Because he was taken out, uh, I think, by a concussion spotter. He he hit his head on the ice. He was actually okay. He came back to play later that game, gave up two goals, one of them the game winner uh, with like eight minutes left. He he gave up two goals. And then, uh, then he hasn't really gotten a chance to see the net since then. So it's not like he totally crashed and burned. I think he'll get back in the net before long. He'll reestablish himself. I don't think Jake Allen owners need be all that concerned. Okay, next cold streak. Let's go to Vegas. Brian, very rarely this season have we had a chance to talk about a slumping player on Vegas. So I'm relishing the situation. Daniel Negrano must be cringing right now to know that there's one player. They're still doing amazing as a team, of course. But there's one player (laughs) slumping right now, and that is James Neal. Only one assist in his last seven games. Before that, he was on a 67-point pace to start the year going into the last seven games. But yeah, right now, he's not doing anything, which is strange because his line mates, David Perron and Eric Halla, have both been doing just fine they're both on hot streaks right now so is this just like a low ipp situation like neil's on the ice for goals but he's just not getting in on them nothing to worry about and maybe even a buy low time for james neil or are you seeing like a more sustainable issue under the surface james neil began the year with six goals on 14 shots in his first four games which is fantastic might have set some unreasonable expectations though he now has 11 goals on 98 shots in 36 games which is very reasonable and sounds about right uh, you asked if it's an ipp issue i don't have the data available to me to be able to isolate his ipp for just the last couple of weeks when he's gone cold but your assumption seems like our best bet, given that his line mates are still rolling. Maybe he's just not getting in on it. Neil's deployment hasn't changed. His shots are still coming reasonably. So yeah, you can try and buy low. But truth be told, I wouldn't want to buy any higher on him than as a 55-point player. And even there, I'm trying to you know, be generous. I'm learning from my past mistakes of underestimating Vegas players. I would definitely not want to trade anybody like worth 60 points or more for James Neal, I think, at best. You're breaking even in that scenario. So treat him as a 55-point player if you are trying to buy low. Brian, JVR or James Neal? Or are you mad at me right now for asking? I'm mad at you for asking. I was actually just going to say JVR right away. And then like my throat closed, <laughs> like my brain closed it because I've you know said enough about not believing in Golden Knights players all year. And James Neal's deployment hasn't changed. JVR's has, although Neal's is better than last year in some interpretations. So uh, push. I'll, I'm going to go James Neal. I'm getting on the Vegas bandwagon. There it is. Wow, you went from 
quick JVR to now James Neal. David in the chat room saying, Neal, hands down. Ryan's asking, should you try to swing Arvidsson for Neal? Ryan, yeah, I, I don't know about that one, actually. Well, okay, let's talk about that on the Facebook group. That's why it's so fun to be a patron of the podcast. We can take the conversation afterwards, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And by the way, like I said earlier, you can go and get a free episode there. You don't even have to be a patron to get that awesome discussion with Cam. Brian, since we're on Vegas, I don't think we've mentioned Braden McNabb yet this season, or if we did, it was like very early on. What a stud for hits and blocks this guy has been. He's doing what everyone was hoping to get from Radko Gudas going into this season. McNabb is definitely this year's Gudas. Maybe there's a couple other players you could throw into that conversation. But like recently, McNabb has had four, five, and even eight hit games lately, along with three, four, and six block games. So he's getting high numbers in both of those. Seems like a really good own in a Bangers and Mash League only one game next week for Vegas, so you don't have to rush to add him right now. But then there's going to be four games for Vegas in the following week. Those four games, like, if you have Brady McNabb, he could probably almost single-handedly or at least very close to take you to winning your hits and blocks category. He is really valuable in that format. And someone else is really valuable in that format, not on Vegas, but we have to give a shout-out to Alex Edler, who put up eight hits five blocks and five shots yesterday versus Toronto. So he's been on fire. I think he's already got a point today as well. I'm taking a look at the Vancouver Montreal game. Alex Edler. Yeah. He's got an assist, five shots, five blocks, four hits. What? Alex Edler is on fire right now. Not only with the shots, but like the blocks and the hits. And as you'd expect with all of this, all these shots, like you're going to get a point. He got an assist today. Wow. Like, and Vancouver, like you said, plays three games next week. Forget about what I said in terms of the whole wait, don't pick up a Vancouver guy because they play Tuesday and then Friday, Sunday. If Alex Edler's available to you and you're in uh, Bangers and Mash League, we have hits and blocks are both counted and shots. Like, you need to have him right now. He is a stud. Yeah, I don't even have a question for you, but way to go, Alex Edler. And I guess to a lesser extent, Brady McNabb, because he's not giving you the shots and the points like Edler is. I thought you did have a question. I thought your question was going to be, can Alex Edler score another goal at some point? He has just one goal over 29 games. Now, he's not like a a huge volume shooter, but he still does get like a couple shots per game, which means that him having a very low shooting percentage this year, just at 1.6%, that would be a career low. That has a bit of an impact on whether or not he's going to score a goal. He's been in the 5% neighborhood in the past, uh, which would help, but Keep in mind, he's only had between six and eight goals for the last five seasons. His 82 game paces have actually been enough to get him above 10. Edler's just missed too much time from injury or whatever to ever get there. But still, I, you can hope that he'll score once every so often, uh, like more than once every 29 games, more like once every three or four weeks. Okay, yeah, but still, with all these other peripheral categories, like he's worth owning if they're counting. Yeah, for points, I don't know, he's still a top power play defenseman, right? But but yeah, I mean, how much can you expect? By the way, also, Daniel Sedin, I really like him. He's got another point or two today. Brian, next I want to talk about Nemesnikov, and I was actually thinking maybe skipping him since we're kind of late in the show, and I saw he has an assist today. But looking closer... Nemestikov assisted on a goal by Girardi, but the other assist went to Yanni Gourd, which made me think Nemestikov doesn't play with Yanni Gourd. But now I'm taking a look at the line combinations, the like live in-game line combos for Tampa Bay today. And they've been rolling Nemestikov on line three with Killorn and Yanni Gourd. And you know who's been on line one with Stamkos and Kucherov? Want to guess? I'll give you one guess, but you're not going to get it. Yanni Gord. Well, no, that would make no sense because I just said he's playing with Nemestikov. <laughs> it was just the first name that came to mind. Chris Kunitz! Right now is on line one with Stamkos and Kucherov. That's been the top line today. So that is crazy. This is 
uh, like I was already going to talk about Nemesnikov being in a slump. Like he only has one assist in his last, last five games, make that two assists now and six since he got the assist today, down to 33 points in 41 games, which is still a 66 point pace, but it's been sinking. Now it's like a whole other level on this, which neither of us had prepared for going into this show. Like if he's off line one, all the way down to line three, playing with Yanni Gordon and who was it? Killorn? Like that's terrible. Like you got to get rid of him right now if you could get something for him in a trade though obviously he could go back on line one and be good later but i think uh it's time to sound the alarm bells for vladislav nemesnikov oh man do you know that he had two assists tonight i have the game open so when nemesnikov has two assists that's nice yeah yanni gourd has a goal and assist also yeah that's actually worse because nemesnikov <laughs> yanni gourd and alex killorn are clearly clicking if that line is putting two goals today so then why would they change it for the next game i think this is really bad news for him and by the way great news for chris kunitz if he's gonna be playing with kucherov and stamkos Blech. i hope that does not last for too long we've seen enough of chris kunitz in a first line role where he doesn't necessarily appear to be the best option there uh, it's also uh, we before you read too much into Nemesnikov and Gord's success tonight Peter Morazic has now stopped just 18 of 23 shots against uh, they're losing pretty badly uh, what, what was I going to say oh Nemesnikov yeah you know he's been a 60 point guy for the last five weeks or so which honestly that's just fine with me if he can get that deployment back he can probably hold that if he keeps um, you know, playing with Stamkos and Kucherov. Ice time had been holding going into tonight. His own shooting percentage is still quite high. So maybe Nemesnikov uh, drops down to like 55 points instead of 60 point pace. But that's probably the lowest anyone can go while playing with Stamkos and Kucherov. So just pray he gets back there or sell high if you don't want to wait in purgatory to find out. I can't, it would crush me to think of Chris Kunitz playing on that top line instead of Nemesnikov. I don't like that. Well, they have other options, right? It doesn't have to be Nemestikov. They could put Tyler Johnson there. They could throw Palat up there. Like, you know, Palat and Kucherov have a history playing together. Uh, I would be worried. Brian, I have Nemestikov in that weekly league. Like, you know, we both are in one of these fan tracks weekly leagues, and I have Nemestikov, and he only plays, like, one game next week. Now I'm thinking maybe I should just drop him for someone playing four times. Like, that's very concerning for me. Sorry if, like, I'm making people nervous if they're Nemestikov owners, and then, like, maybe if you have him, maybe it's crazy to drop him because he's been so good this year, and at least wait to see what happens after the bye week but i have a feeling he's gonna stay on this third line because they've been doing well yeesh okay one more cold streak though brian i think i'm ready to call this guy not only a cold streak but a snoozer and i'm talking about jonathan druin i I think he's an official bust for this fantasy season people were expecting big things going into the year but at this point he's pointless in seven games he only has 18 points in 36 overall so that's only half point per game like a 41 point pace just terrible do you see a reason to hold jonathan druin at this point if you own him like recently he's been playing with Galchenyuk and Lekkonen for the halves at even strength and he's still been getting a good power play time so that would be a reason to hold Druin but like absolutely nothing to show for it seems to me like at the very least if Galchenyuk is in free agency in your league then I feel like Druin should join him I'm gonna draw a comparison between Jonathan Druin this week and what we said about Brandon Saad last week Druin's looking a lot like the 60 point pace player that he was last year but he's getting destroyed by variants in like every possible way. There also, you know, there really aren't a lot of great places to be playing in that Montreal lineup these days. But Drone's own expected goals for numbers are up at even strength, both on individual and team level. So I hold that Drone is better than his point totals are indicating. But for fantasy purposes, you're forgiven for feeling like you've given enough rope and it's time to part ways if you've held him all this time. And then you're ready to actually 
go through with dropping him into free agency. You, of course, run the risk of his production starting to better reflect his efforts while he's on someone else's roster. But at this point of the season, like Brandon Saad, uh, you're certainly allowed to have run out of patience. I wouldn't blame you. I don't know that your opponents will see him as a great pickup. I don't think I would go out of my way to add Duran if he became a free agent in my leagues. I would wait to start seeing things tip his way the way I think they should, but still aren't. Well, hey, he actually does have a power play assist today. So maybe it has started to tip. Montreal is destroying Vancouver. Looks like they've won the game five to two. And I was going to bring up Pacioretty, who's finally turning things around. Maybe like he had points in two straight games going into today. And he had a goal today that was an empty net goal, but six shots. So I don't know. Maybe we're at the start of a run for Pacioretty. By the way, uh, Shea Weber, he's still out. Apparently still no timeline. Petrie hasn't really been taking advantage, but hey, he actually had a power play assist today as well. So I don't know what to do with these Habs. Uh, Petrie still is in a good spot. Druin is in a good spot. No one's doing much of anything, but we'll have to wait and see. Like Brian said, maybe it's time to let go of Druin and probably Petrie also, at least going into this bye week for Petrie. Brian, let's lightning round the end of the show. We've been going a while. Lots of interesting stuff, though. So, okay, there was a trade. Uh, Al Montoya went to Edmonton, so the Habs decided they don't need him anymore because they've got the great Antony Emi. Why do they need Al Montoya? So, fine. Uh, that quickly led to Laurent Brossois being waived, and now Montoya is the backup on Edmonton. He actually came in to relieve Talbot yesterday as he was getting pummeled by Dallas. Uh, Talbot led in four goals on 19 shots. Montoya came in and did okay, stopped 13 of 14. Edmonton is playing today. And let's see, Talbot played, and uh, he lost. For, Chicago won 4-1. to So there you go. And actually, Anton Forsberg played for Chicago. So now that throws that whole situation in flux with Glass and Forsberg going into next week. Maybe we can get to that before we end the show. But yeah, on Edmonton, like Talbot's been struggling. Another bad game today. But going into today, he had a 902 save percentage. Uh, should his owners, ha- or that's over the last month, he had a 902 save percentage. Should his owners have any concern of Montoya stealing starts? I still remember, Brian, like a couple of years ago when we were calling Montoya the best backup in fantasy while he was on the Panthers. Feels like a long time ago. But Camp Talbot's been really bad. Montoya, maybe it's worth them giving him at least a shot? No, it's not at least worth giving him a shot. I mentioned that when he was traded for Montreal, immediately he was still the third best goaltending option on Montreal and now Edmonton, Lindgren was better than him. I think Brassois was better than him. I feel like if they wanted, if the Oilers wanted anybody to spell Talbot, they would have kept Brassois up, but perhaps they wanted him to get some more playing time, which this accomplishes for them. Unless they like feel like the veteran leadership of Al Montoya will resemble what Jonas Gustafsson was able to offer them last season. Okay, and then I won't ask you about it, but just the update on Edmonton lines. They always change. Apparently, Ryan Nugent Hopkins bumped Milan Lucic from the top power play. We'll see how long that lasts. Ryan Nugent Hopkins actually hasn't been doing too much lately. I know you raved about him last week, but not too much. At least nothing today. Also, Andre Sekera, who we thought could challenge Clefbaum for the top power play. He did for a bit, but Sekera actually was scratched today. He only has one assist in nine games on the year. So I think we could pretty much forget about Sekera and Clefbaum owners could breathe somewhat of a sigh of relief. It doesn't seem like Sekera's taking his job anytime soon. Okay, uh, hot streaks to end the show. See, Brian, how was that for lightning? That was pretty good. I went right through Edmonton so quickly. Uh, you must be excited about the Sens and their recent surge. They were struggling to score more than a goal for most of their games. Then out of nowhere, they beat San Jose 6-5 on Friday. They beat Tampa 6-3 on Saturday. So that's 12 goals in their last two games so of course all the guys that people were frustrated about getting a lot of points like mark stone six points over those two games carlson five assists duchene three goals one assist right after i drop matt duchene by the way then he goes and puts up these two great games whatever okay hoffman brassard bobby ryan they're all getting points but I, again we are talking about the last two games 
are you seeing this as a turning point and now the Sens are going to start scoring goals again and everyone who held on to all these players will finally get rewarded for their patience or is this just like a blip and still the Sens are like the Sens and not a great team this year I'm going to go more with the latter than the former this could just be a, a small blip of scoring although it is not, I feel like this is going to help several players feel a little looser get their confidence back which is a real thing how much that's going to show up on the score sheet can't surely say uh, but it does reward anybody who was gambling on having Matt Duchesne take up a roster spot of theirs the same way that you might have been gambling on Brandon Saad or Jonathan Druin doing the same and just to correct like I I uh, when I said Jonathan Druin Dave called me out in the chat he's like Druin is an instant ad in any league yes and then I wrote back that my lineups are stacked and I don't have room for him of course it depends who you're going to drop for him and how deep or shallow the league is like if you think he's going to sit in free agency for a couple weeks and you have that luxury sure if not like he he has some good upside if you can handle the dry spell continuing for a little while same way as all the sends who have just been uh, those owners have been rewarded i'm not sure you're going to continue being rewarded to the same extent though yeah and dave like druin is an ad in any league half point per game jonathan druin I don't, know, I don't know about that, but I guess maybe uh, you'll make me look dumb in a couple of weeks. Feel free to write on Facebook about how dumb Elon was when Druin goes on his like five-game point streak over the next couple of weeks. Okay, uh, Brian, by the way, we got a tweet recently asking, the person asked if they should either keep Carlson or Sergachev for next year. And I was just like, ah, oh, like <laughs> that's where we've gotten to with uh, Eric Carlson. Yeah, anyways, uh, I told him he should probably keep Carlson and not Sergachev. Uh, okay, two more hot streaks. So Sammy Vatnin, you told me you want to talk about Sammy Vatnin. He had started to finally get things going for New Jersey. You wrote on Facebook, you got to talk about him on the show. He put up a four-game point streak that ended on Thursday. He played today for New Jersey. They lost 5-4 to four to the Islanders, and Vatnin put up a cool one assist. So yeah, he's getting points lately. He's not doing nothing. Meanwhile, actually, Will Butcher's the one who hasn't been doing much of anything, even though he's been the one on the top power play. And Vatnin gets a whole bunch more ice time than Will Butcher, like overall, not just considering power play. Just curious, like, who do you like of those two right now? And do you like Vatnin as someone to potentially pick up after the bye week is over, going into a big schedule the following week? Well, when I had Vatnin popping up on my radar, he also had had a six-shot and an eight-shot game, also a couple five-block outings. Those peripherals were coming. As for Will Butcher, this is how owning him goes. He'll reward you in spurts, and then you spend the rest of your time just waiting for the next run to come while he does little for you and takes up roster space in the meantime. Between the two, I'd rather have Vatnin, at least for some peripheral potential in leagues where 40 point defensemen are regularly available though you may not need to hang on to either through the bye week but if I were to pick one to hold on to yeah I say Vatnin although you know I've been the line butcher all season long he's this power play specialist guy but he's hasn't been that special at it lately yeah well I think that's a hot take I think most people would be holding Will Butcher but I think your reasoning is sound Butcher also had an assist today for what it's worth I think like five shots on goals so he had a good game uh okay last team we've had some questions in the chat asking are you gonna talk about Vinny Hinestroza so yeah let's talk about him he's been the latest to skate on line one on Chicago with Saad and Taves and he's definitely been taking advantage he has six points in his last four games going into today one goal and two assists on Friday versus Vegas so even giving some multi-point games every once in a while i just had the chicago box score up when i was looking at how they did against edmonton and hindestroza once again got on the score sheet he had an assist on a goal by brandon sad also assisted by jonathan tapes yeah he's still on that line still producing chicago plays four games next week seems like a primo guy to add for this bye week when you're looking for someone who's going to help you produce in the short term 
Yeah, Vinny Hinestroza, Chicago native, six round pick in 2012. Undersized 23 year old stands at just 5'9, buck 73. I always wanted to say someone's weight that way, buck 73. But that's the kind of player uh, Hinestroza is who has more rope to succeed these days in the NHL and he's taking advantage. He really didn't seem to have much left to prove before being called up from the AHL, where he'd racked up nine goals and 13 assists for 22 points in 23 games for AHL's Rockford. I will take him as a good option for the quiet bye week, assuming, of course, that Nick Schmaltz is already off the board. Right, yeah, definitely makes sense. Nick Schmaltz has been great. And finally, the Chicago goalie situation driving me crazy. I added Jeff Glass in the cuffle, assuming that he would help me in next week's big four-game week. And now Glass had a bad game against Vegas, which like every team usually has a bad game against Vegas and their goalies usually suffer. But they decided Chicago had to play Forsberg today against Edmonton. And Anton Forsberg had a really good game. So now, like, I don't know what to do. Do I hold Glass? Do I drop him for Forsberg? Do I just forget both of them? Like, what's your take on the Chicago goalie situation? Word is Corey Crawford is still going to be out a while. Like, there was a quote that came out a couple days ago that, like, the coach said he'll be back sometime this season. But definitely there was no word on anytime soon. I'm in a league with limited transactions. I get just 30 for the whole year. I had Scott Darling for a long time, was dealing with it. Finally, was ready to move on from him. Added Anton Forsberg. We know like that he's done nothing. Jeff Glass should have been the ad for the last couple of weeks. So I've got nothing from that roster spot for now. I don't know who's going to be the guy going forward, but I do know that I'm just going to try and will it to be Forsberg by saying he deserves the starting job. I mean, I I gave the logic last week that he was picked as the team's backup goalie for a reason. So maybe, uh, maybe he gets a little run. He certainly seems to have earned the next start with his performance tonight, which is at Ottawa. So that, that could work out pretty well unless they score another six goals. Yeah, Ottawa's on fire right now. Well, the thing is with Chicago, they play Tuesday and Wednesday. So I guess probably they're just going to do one goalie for each game and then decide for the later in the week games based on how those two games go. So maybe I shouldn't be too worried at this point. Okay, Brian, fun episode. It was a big one. It was a long one. We got a crazy week next week. Hopefully we've helped give you guys some tips on what to do during this crazy week. And then we're going to have another episode next weekend talking about the following crazy week. The NHL schedule driving me crazy right now. It's like they don't even care about the people paying fantasy hockey, the people making the schedule. Is that possible? No. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. It's just like, come on, people, help us out a little bit. But okay, thanks to everyone for listening. We really appreciate you sticking with us. We're into the second half of the season. And, you know, it really matters to us to have listeners even all the way to the end because I know a lot of people stop listening once they realize they're not going to win their fantasy leagues. But hopefully you're enjoying it, even if you're not winning your league. But if you're listening, you're probably doing pretty well, I would think. If you want to help out the show, we always appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. We would take a Twitter follow if you want to follow us. We try to give you some good content. I had a really funny tweet i thought i like had a, the gif of the backstreet boys going bye 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 in reference to the bye week like one like i don't know why like you guys are crazy for not liking that tweet but that's fine if only kk tweets explained had had told everyone exactly what it meant it might have gotten more attention yeah well i mean i feel like that wasn't too complicated i said something like looking at the schedule next week is crazy and then it had the gif bye 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 anyway follow us on twitter at keevan carlson give us that five star review on itunes if you'd be so kind Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you want to support us and get a bunch of bonus episodes and a free bonus episode uh, with Cam Robinson talking about prospects last week, which was a lot of fun. But Brian, with that, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, including we have 10 patrons who have been with us for three years. There actually might be more, but the way Patreon shows us the dates, It's not always easy to tell, but the three... 
people who like I don't think have ever edited their pledge, like completely uninterrupted support. Thank you very much. Jeff M, Ed H, Cam D, Aaron L, Christopher P, Josh W, Finn C, Paul D, Ricard S, and Mark Z. Because we're in Canada. Thank you so much for your long and consistent and unwavering support. If you want to join them, uh, head on over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, sign up, and don't touch anything for three full years. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Natural Stat Trick, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantracks. Great job, as always, Brian. I'll chat with you on Thursday for our patron cast. It's our once-a-month long form. We answer every single question we get just for the patrons. And then for everyone else, you'll hear us, as per usual, next Sunday. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Stein.